Hello and welcome into the Luke Winstall Show. I'm your host, Luke Winstall. Thank you all for tuning in. Today, I've got a great show ahead. I talked with Jarrell Worthy, former NFL player, played for seven years with several different teams. Most notably, was drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the second round in 2012. I was really happy to have him on. We talked about all different kinds of things, from college football to the NFL, to his journey to the NFL, the Alliance of American Football, the XFL, and everything in between. I really enjoyed the interview with Jarrell. I think you will, too. So we'll go ahead and get to it. Thank you all for tuning in to the Luke Winstall Show. Mr. Worthy, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it is a pleasure to be on the show. I'm excited to uh, make your acquaintance, man, and I'm excited to be here, man. So I, I appreciate you having me on. My first question for you, what was your journey like to get to the NFL? Man, uh, like most journeys, um, you know, filled with a lot of ups and downs, some adverse situations. I I'm, I'm grew up in Dayton, Ohio, uh, went to Wayne High School. I had my share of adversities uh, coming throughout high school. My senior year, uh, dealt with a uh, serious knee injury um, before um, committing to, to a school. And so it kind of made my recruiting um, a little up and, up and down because uh, there was a lot of schools that were interested. And then I had schools that, um, you know, felt the need to kind of back away. And so uh, Coach D'Antonio took a, took a chance on me and, and the rest was kind of history from there. Um, I went to Michigan State, had an opportunity to play early after recovering from my knee surgery. And I had an opportunity to play, and it was uh, one of the greatest times of my life. Um, went second round to, to Green Bay. There was a lot of ups and downs because I had another knee injury, another torn ACL um, my rookie year. And so I've, I've, I've overcome a lot of adverse situations, but, um, you know, I've been very blessed to be able to play in the NFL for, the, for, for seven years. Um, I'm currently a free agent now and have, and um, excited about my next opportunity with with football and anything that comes after. When did you hit the level in that point where you thought that you could play in college and be a very high-level player there? Well, at first, it, it, it was a little shaky. You know, when you first get to college, there's a lot of guys that were on their way to the NFL. There's a lot of uh, talent around you, um, a lot of star players coming from their respectable schools. And so um, there were some, some times where, you know, obviously some doubt set in because, you know, practices wasn't going According to plan, when you first get on campus, everybody has to learn the ropes. Uh, but I think after my first year there, uh, I redshirted my first year uh, because I had an AC, a torn ACL my senior year in high school. Um, after I rehab from there, uh, working with Coach Ken Manning and, and the coaching staff there, uh, I, just gained, I gained a lot of confidence um, in my time sitting out. And so when I had the opportunity to come back and play and, and I, I had the opportunity to start as a redshirt freshman, uh, I was all for it, and so you know, once I kind of put that fear to the side, I was able to go play, and um, at the end of the year, I collected a freshman All-American honor. On the field, what would you say is your biggest strength? Uh, my explosiveness. I believe that uh, I'm pretty pretty fast at getting off the ball, uh, being very disruptive in the backfield, and so it's led to a lot of successful plays. Um, I've had. Uh, my share of penalties here and there with uh, when it comes to, you know, obviously trying to play as aggressive as possible. But, um, you know, and then no, I mean, no foul play penalties, more so kind of offsides a little bit. But here and there, man, I just I have opportunity to, to get after the, the, the passer and have opportunity to make plays in the backfield. And so I just use my athleticism any chance that I get to, to, to my advantage. 
Well, playing at Michigan State, what would you say was your favorite moment playing college football or being around the game of college football? Man, we had a lot of had a lot of exciting moments uh, because we there was a program that uh, that would only average around five to six wins a year, and uh, we were a part of the we had the opportunity to turn things around, and so um, I think my first Big Ten championship was was definitely uh, very exciting for us. We won it out at Penn State uh, on the road uh, with everything that we had against us. Uh, being able to go out there and, and win our, our first championship um, was, was very exciting, as well as planning the inaugural Big Ten championship game that next year um, when it was introduced, um, especially with, with everything that we had at stake. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to, to move on to the Rose Bowl in that, but that moment itself was very special for us. Um, and beating beating Notre Dame uh, on that fake field goal, man, it was it was really a wild night and just a very exciting time and uh, it's just a historical moment for us. And so um, I had a few moments, man, where we had an opportunity to uh, that I that I have an opportunity to celebrate. Also, oh yeah, also being undefeated against Michigan, I would say, is one of my greatest uh, accomplishments. Oh yeah, I heard before the 2011 season you got a new tattoo. What's the story behind that? Well, it was kind of interesting. I just wanted to to do something that represented my my school, uh, represented the the way I felt about it, and um, so we kind of discussed some things with me and my teammates, um, Benny Fowler. Uh, he's one of my one of my closest friends, and so we discussed some things, and uh, we came up with a Spartan. And so once we kind of came up with the Spartan and the design that we wanted to do, then guys kind of started to critique it and add their two cents and until we end up coming with uh, um, a Spartan with the with the Michigan State S on the shield, um, stepping on the head of a Wolverine. And so it was very exciting. And uh, it was funny because we, the tattoo artist that actually did the, the tattoo was located down in Ann Arbor. And so it just really was a very, uh, it was a very funny story behind that. So um, the guy was was able to do a phenomenal tattoo, and um, I didn't expect for it to get as as much as exposure as it did. But when we had media day, uh, one reporter saw it, and then it kind of just blew up from there. One thing I like to do, I'll look back on college rosters and look at teams, especially top ranked teams like some of the ones you played on at Michigan State. And I look at one of the rosters you had. You played alongside Le'Veon Bell. What was it like playing with him? Did you always know he would be a special player and one of the top running backs in the league? Uh, absolutely. Um, Le'Veon came in at a, at a young age showing, uh, displaying his talents. Um, he had an opportunity to uh, play as a, as, a, as a freshman, and so it was really cool to see him go out there and showcase his talents, man. I mean, he was 30 pounds hot, bigger than what he is today doing the same things that he's doing now in the NFL, and so you know, when you first start to see that on scout team and, you know, given the defense um, the, that was pretty pretty well known at the time, um, a tough time in, in practice, um, you, you obviously have a bright future ahead of you. And, um, and he was able to transfer his talents from practice to the field. And, and now you look at him, he's, he's one of the, the, uh, the best running backs in the, in the NFL, if not the best running back. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how hard was it practicing against Le'Veon Bell on a daily basis? Oh, it was tough, but it's exciting because he's a he's a he's a person that accepts challenges daily, and uh, he's gonna talk mess. We're gonna talk mess. I'm known for talking mess, and so it was very it was very exciting to have that opportunity to to compete against him on a daily basis. And 
um, he welcomed the challenge, um, you know, competing against our defense. And, um, you know, we weren't no slouches. We had a lot of guys that had opportunities to move on to the NFL and compete and compete on Sundays. And so it was really cool to see his growth from that situation until now. You said you like to talk a lot. Any fun trash-talking stories that you could tell? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, we've had I've had opportunities to talk mess to a lot of different quarterbacks. Um, I had opportunity during the Big Ten Championship game. I was talking a lot of trash to Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, he obviously was having a great game the first half. And the second half, we came, we came around and we're shutting him down. And so... Um, I remember tackling tackling him one time um, in the backfield before he was able to hand the ball off, and 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 he just kind of smiled at me, man. It was just so funny. Um, he was like, "Man, you're, you're he just was uh, you know congratulating me on being extremely fast in the backfield." And so you know we're just talking mess the entire game, and so um, you know obviously that and, and talking trash to Michigan, just literally uh, obliterating them for four years straight was very. <laughs> was very intense for us, and, and we just had a blast, um, you know, owning that state for the time we did. Right now in college football, the top 10 is really loaded this year. Strong teams from every conference. Who do you like? Do you have a team that you like in the top 10 that you could see winning the championship this year? Well, I will hope Michigan State get their act together so we have opportunity to grace the top 10 um, at this moment. But going off the current teams that are, are that are in the top 10, uh, for me personally, I like I like Oklahoma. I just like what Jalen Hurts has been able to do out there with that squad. And uh, I just like the way that he's been performing with those guys. And I think that he's, um, he's, transferred, he's transformed himself as a player. And uh, he's back on the radar as one of the top uh, quarterbacks coming out next year in the draft. And so it's very interesting to see how um, – how well he's improved his mechanics in, in order to get this uh, the team in, in place for in place in place to compete for a championship. Um, but right now, I think the biggest the biggest uh, question mark for me is Ohio State. They have us coming up this week. Um, it would be very exciting to see Michigan State pull off this win. Um, I just think that they've had opportunities to play to play good teams. They've played well. They put on a very good display last week against Nebraska. And uh, I'm just excited to see what they can do. And um, and I'm excited for the week for this game coming up. So um, Ohio State and Oklahoma will have to be my top, my top teams right there. I'm wondering, with the college football playoff in the four-team format, do you like it as it is or should it be expanded? What is your opinion there? I, w- I would like for it to be expanded. I think that there should be a shakeup with the teams and how they meet. Um, I always believe that, you know, the one and four game is always kind of written for the most part. It's never really um, a team that's coming in there with the opportunity to advance. And so I think that having a, the change up and, and expansion uh, would give a team that would essentially be the fourth team in a, a, a more uh, a more uh, equal opportunity to, to advance. Well, one thing in college football that I've been hearing a lot, a lot of people have been talking about the SEC. I know you played in your career a lot of games against them. Are they the best conference in college football, or is there a dominant conference right now? Well, I believe the SEC is the, the most dominant conference in the in college football. I believe that there's other conferences that are very close second. It's just that uh, the level of talent that they kind of recruit – each and uh, year in and year out, uh, the development of the quarterbacks that they have uh, competing down there in that conference is, is always uh, substantially higher than, than other conferences. I mean, you might have 
Um, you never necessarily get a guy like uh, Justin Fields throughout your entire conference. I mean, there's there's playmakers all over the board in SEC. And, you know, obviously the Big Ten we have, we're known for having, um, you know, very, very good interior defense and offensive alignment. Um, there's some playmakers on the edge here and there as far as both teams. But to be spread around equally uh, how, how it is in that conference is um, is the reason why those those guys are number one. One thing that's been going on a lot in college football now that we've been seeing with top players that are projected to be high draft picks like you were when you played in college, you've seen some of those players now skipping bowl games or missing out on that last game of the year. Is that okay, or, or what are your thoughts? Uh, well, it all depends on the player and his situation. Uh, I think that, you know, if you have a guy that's going to be, um, you know, a guy that's going to be a top five pick, a guy that's going to be essentially – um, a game changer for a franchise at the next level. Uh, they should have that opportunity to to decide whether or not they want to compete in a bowl game or whether or not they want to uh, rest and uh, take the time to just uh, train and compete for the next level. They're already um, they're already knowing that they're going to that next level, and, and, and you know when coaches take new jobs and and uh, they move on um, to new schools, they have the opportunity of whether or not they want to finish out at the bowl game or or whether have an existing coach uh, take over and they, you know, already can uh, <clears throat> move on with their new school to, you know, to start with their recruiting. And so, um, you know, when you have a player that's going to be of a, of a, you know, a day one talent, a day one opportunity in the, in, uh, in the NFL, they should have that opportunity to make a decision if they want to play in their bowl game or not. Well, speaking of the next level, after you left Michigan State, you entered the NFL draft process. What was draft day like for you? Man, it was kind of it was kind of bittersweet because like the first round of the draft, I was I was expected to go number twenty eight to Green Bay Packers. Um, I ended up going the next round uh, to Green Bay in the second round, but uh, that first round that day was actually my birthday, and so I was very excited about uh, you know the potential of going first round on my birthday. Um, had an opportunity to. Um, have a, have uh, some people from our neighborhoods around um, all my high school and Pee Wee coaches, uh, everybody that, that's had a, a pretty much an impact on me um, up until this point was uh, was around and present. And so it was a little disappointing not to to be to be called that very that that day. Um, but it was it was also exciting to to be able to have everybody around to celebrate my birthday as well. And so that very next day it was a little bit of a smaller get together, but. Um, you know, to have your name called in itself was, was very exciting. You say you were expecting Green Bay to get you at 28. What led you to think that they were going to pick you? Because I know they eventually did end up picking you in that second round. Um, well, it was just everything that I was kind of hearing from my agent and uh, what they were saying and um, just having that opportunity to sit there and talk with them on a daily basis. Um, you know, Joel Siegel and Shafi Fields are really good agents, and so – um, when they when they when they kind of give you uh, their word on things, they they kind of know where where teams are kind of where teams are looking. What was the hardest part for you transitioning to the NFL? Uh, at first, the speed of the game. You know, uh, the guys were really were were pretty fast, and um, I think just the tempo, the overall tempo, was faster. Um, you know, you have grown man moving um, at the speed of light, and so I think it, at the end of the day, it was a it was a transition, but. You know, after a couple of weeks of practicing, you you know the body adapts and you gain confidence to be able to compete. And so, I think the the toughest transition was that. And um, secondly, was the the expansion of the playbook because the 
the playbooks and the and the defensive philosophies in the NFL are a lot more exotic than um, in college. And so, uh, you know, the, the 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 play schemes are different, and the terminologies and checks are different. And so, you have to be able to pick up on that stuff and and change week to week. Do you have a favorite play that you've made in your seven years in the league? Man, um, let's see. I think well, I think my favorite play would probably be my first sack. It was on. It was against Jay Cutler on Thursday Night Football. It was my second game of the year. Um, you know, it was prime time. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to Michael Irvin after the game. Um, you know, growing up, I was a very, I was a very big Cowboys fan, and so. You know, have an opportunity to see one of my favorite players all time because he was working with NFL Network and doing shows at that time was very exciting. And just getting my first my first second Lambeau Field under the lights and you know having um, the tradition that they have and being a part of uh, part of that organization, it was just very it was very exciting. Who is the best player that you ever played in a game, whether it be high school, college, NFL? Who's that one player that stands out? Um, I would believe. Um, Man, I think at the time uh, when Mark Ingram was on his way uh, was on his way out, um, when we had to play Alabama in the uh, we had to play Alabama in the Outback Bowl. It was a uh, or not the Outback Bowl. It was the Capital One Bowl. It was just a really it's a really tough experience for us, man. The, that team was loaded. I think overall that was probably the most talented team that I faced at the time uh, with Julio. Uh, Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy being the third string running back. Um, Mays on the outside as well. Um, their entire defense ended up going on to play the, in the NFL. And so um, I just believe that at that point in time, that was probably the most skillful um, team or situation that I had to compete against. Now on the flip side, who is your favorite player that you ever played alongside? Who's your favorite teammate? Man, I have a few of them, man. Okay. Uh, man, so in Green Bay, uh, Mike Neal, Clay Matthews, um, my my entire defensive line out there was very fun to play with. So uh, from like Mike Daniels, B.J. Raji to like Ryan Pickett and Johnny Jolly, uh, those guys were extremely fun to, to hang with, compete with on a daily basis. Um, they made the job fun and, and exciting. Uh, my defensive line in Buffalo – was very exciting to play with Kyle Williams and Jerry Hughes and Marcel Darius and those guys. And, um, you know, learning from uh, Mario Williams before he moved on was, was very exciting. Um, I think one of the, one of the most eye opening things was my rookie year stepping into the huddle and on Thursday night football against the Chicago bears. And, uh, you know, looking around and seeing the cast of characters that I had with me, um, being BJ B. Raji, uh, Clay Matthews, um, AJ Hawk is from my neck of the woods, and so um, he's nest- he's he's technically a legend, um, and 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 from where I'm from, and so um, being in the same huddle with him and Charles Woodson and those guys, it was very uh, it was very eye opening to realize that I had uh, accomplished something pretty uh, pretty great. You said your defensive line in Green Bay was really fun to play with. What did they do that made it so fun for you and so enjoyable? What was that like? Oh, man, well, in Green Bay, you don't have a choice but to hang with each other. Um, So, you know, it's like it's not a lot of um, nightlife or anything like that. So it's kind of like a band of brothers, and you have opportunities to, you know, spend time with each other's families. There's barbecues. There's, you know, we'll play cards a lot. It was spades uh, on a daily basis, and so – 
um, having those opportunities to grow up on there and uh, on game day, it just was so funny, man, cracking jokes in between plays. Um, you know, we were, we had a, we had a, a, a certain bond and continuity between each other that was just, it was just fun to play with. So, um, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, Aaron Rodgers is putting up points. So you have an opportunity to rush the passer a lot and uh, just make some plays. I wanted to ask, you mentioned that you came out there on Thursday night football against the Chicago Bears. One thing I've heard some players complain about is they are not fans of Thursday night football. They don't like the quick turnaround. What do you think about Thursday night football? What's your opinion? Should it even exist overall? Uh, I actually, um, I like Thursday night football games, but I don't, I don't necessarily like the preparation for them, uh, because you're, you're short winded coming off a Sunday and, uh, you, you don't necessarily have the opportunity to recover uh, substantially like you do um, going from a Sunday to a Sunday. And so um, it becomes extremely difficult to go out there and compete at a high level uh, off that short, short, uh, short type of rest. And so with that being said, you know, um, I, I like the Thursday night games because obviously uh, you kind of get, you get a three day weekend, but to prepare for that game is a, extremely hard because you're, you're less uh, likely to have. You're less likely to have the information that you need in order to be successful um, for for the for the game ahead. Yeah, and with Thursday night football, do you think there could be something negotiated where you maybe have the bye week and then you play Thursday night football after that? I I think so. I think that they should have uh, an opportunity to gain back the balance of recovery um, like they do with a Sunday to Sunday. And so any way that there's an opportunity to give players the chance to recover um, either before or and or after that, um, it would be phenomenal. I wanted to ask your opinion on a new rule with the NFL allowing pass interference to be reviewed as a defensive player. What do you think about that? I don't necessarily like it. I think in the case of the Super Bowl, I'm um, not the Super Bowl, but the NFC Championship last year uh, with Nikhil Roby and his hit um, on the outside, I believe that that uh, necessarily is a is a is a reason for uh, having an opportunity to challenge. Um, but being a defensive player, uh, most most defensive backs get the call called on them um, in in most situations. It's given to the offensive player um, or given in favor of the offensive player. So. Technically, I don't necessarily think that the, the challenge is, is acceptable. I just think that the that the way that we compete, um, it's just always uh, – it just creates another way to slow the game down, um, just giving more reason for more controversy. And so uh, I believe that last year, if they would have just threw the flag, then all of this kind of wouldn't, you know, wouldn't exist at this present time. But uh, because the inability for the guy last year to throw the flag on an obviously egregious play, then – um, now we're sitting here, you know, wondering if one wondering if if free play is is the right thing to do, or uh, challenging is the right thing to do. And I'm looking and thinking about the impact that one play had. You look in the Alliance of American Football, a league that you played in, they had a sky judge referee to try to overturn any egregious refereeing errors. And then you have in the NFL making this new rule. That play really had a big impact on the game. Absolutely, it did. Um, but at the at that present time, the referee with the protocols in which they have to go through, all of those referees should have been on the same page with throwing a flag, where there was a clearly uh, a, an, uh, an offensive um, 
you know, call to be made. And so at that present time, I think it was just the inability of that set referee that has put this in motion. But I think that you have to challenge the protocols and the, the, the way that the referees handle things and to be more stricter on them to get the plays right as, as more so like, you know, creating more opportunities to throw challenge flags and, and plays in that situation. And so I just think that um, if the person would have just threw the flag, then it would, it would be a lot different. I don't necessarily think that we should continue to add more and more rules um, for the play for, for, for the NFL. I mean, we've already gotten, to the point now where it's essentially two-hand touch as opposed to uh, actual tackle football, and so um, I just think that it's a it's an un, it's a it's moving in a direction that it's not necessarily going to be good for a sponsor. I mean, for the for the viewers. Yeah, I was going to say with what you to follow up on what you just mentioned there. You grew up playing football without a lot of these player protection rules, and now they're being put in, especially defensively. I know as a defensive lineman. It's hard to hit a quarterback legally, it seems like, nowadays. I mean, how have you seen the game evolve through that? We've even seen a lot more penalties this year called than even last year. Um, I think it's it's very tough, man. I mean, you have a 300 to, you know, a guy, most guys are between 250 and 350 pounds um, rushing at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a standardized target. Because um, most quarterbacks aren't mobile in the league. You are, you're starting to see a difference in, you know, how the quarterback is transitioning from college to the pro pro game and they're starting to become more mobile. But majority of the NFL quarterbacks, the, the guys that we've known for the past decade aren't as mobile as um, some of the fresh bodies that are coming in. And so you have to find ways to protect them, and I understand that. But when you're rushing a guy and you're, you're, you're trying to run through a guy that's 300 to 350 pounds and you finally find – uh, the slight bit of clearance and you're and you're and you're hauling you're hauling tail like you don't have an opportunity to necessarily uh, to necessarily not fall on him or um, if you're if you're if you're pass rushing or running a pass rush game and your pocket like if you have opportunity you know the more sacks or the more half sacks that you get those add up to more money in your pocket so a lot of guys are pass rushing for their livelihoods it's not necessarily um, you know having the opportunity just just to hit the quarterback these guys are are rushing for potential new deals and just like you know wide receivers and running backs try to run over guys for touchdowns because they know that's incentive for them to make more money it's the same thing when it's their defense alignment pass rushing for at the quarterback and so i think that you know with that being said it's very tough to have these rules where you have to tackle a guy and you have to let go before you hit the ground like if i'm coming in at 100 miles an hour man i mean it's essentially very tough for me to hit a guy and to think in that split second, let him go and roll over or hit him and not, you know, I understand not trying to hit a guy in the helmet. You know, I understand not hitting a guy in the face mask. You know, we can train to, to be able to have those things, but to not, to train, to train, to not fall on a guy when you're, you know, you're essentially going a hundred miles an hour. I think that that's just really uh, outrageous. I was going to say, how do you adapt as a defensive lineman when these rules are being passed? I understand it. You know, the quarterbacks are getting paid in the $100 million range. You want to protect your investment, I'm assuming, is what's behind it. But for you all on the defensive line, how do you train or how do you watch film and make the adjustments there? Well, the NFL tries to send out, um, you know, training videos and and essentially trying to show the plays that are uh, acceptable on unto the league and so they they try to give you 
um, visions of how they want you to essentially get the job done. And so as a defensive player, you try to adapt and try to, you know, put yourself in those situations. You you try to train yourself through those situations. And so um, as a coach, you try to come out and have different ways of what you want to tackle. And you might adjust the techniques to where, you know, you have a, you know, you have a defensive player thinking differently. But at the, in the heat of the moment, man, you know, when you have a grown man going up against a grown man and each of, each of you guys are really trying to compete in order to, to not be the guy that uh, makes a mistake for your team, it's very tough um, as a defensive lineman when you, when you have, um, you know, even a slightest chance at the quarterback because they don't come often. And, and when you have a slight chance at, at getting your hands on the quarterback, it's very tough for you not to fall on him um, when you essentially have everybody flying around at that moment. Well, to move on to my next topic, the NFL has several really good teams right now. The Patriots obviously are up there as always. The Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Saints, several others. Who is your pick right now? If you had to pick, who do you like in the NFC? Who do you like in the AFC? Who do you like overall for the Super Bowl? Um, Well, if I have to give a team right now, technically, um, if it was me, I like the Kansas City Chiefs and as well as um, I like – the uh, New Orleans Saints, I understand that they don't have Drew Brees, but the talent that they're playing with on defense and the, their amount, uh, with the, the ability that they have to create turnovers and stop the run, um, they essentially faced, faced the, the number one offensive line last week in um, and, and the Dallas Cowboys, and they completely demolished them and shut them down. And so um, I think the way that this team has the, the way to rally around each other and the continuity that they play with, I really enjoy the way that um, – the type of the brand of football that they play. And so I think that the offensively they're going to get better. I think that the Teddy Bridgewater is going to find a way to limit mistakes. He's going to find out he's going to have an opportunity to, to um, expose defenses and they're going to find ways to get Michael Thomas going. So that will be my pick out of the NFC. Uh, my AFC pick has been the Kansas city chiefs offensively. They're a juggernaut. They don't even have Tariq Hill yet. Um, Shady McCoy's been up and down. He hasn't he hasn't found his groove yet, which I know that uh, from playing with them and having been a teammate of his for the past few years, I understand. I know that he's going to eventually get some things going and have um, some phenomenal games up under Andy Reid. Um, and I just and I'm just excited about their defense. Um, they have playmakers all over the board that are essentially trying to find their way and uh, mold together. And so I think that. When you start to see this team um, week six, seven, eight, nine, I think that they're going to have great opportunities to make some strides. And so I like them coming out of the AFC. I mean, AFC. One league that you played in, the Alliance of American Football, I referred to it earlier. It's really intriguing to me just to kind of look back on the league. And I'm wondering, how did that journey start for you to get into the AAF? Because now we're seeing the XFL pop up again and, this concept of spring football is getting to be a big storyline and very intriguing right now. Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, my agent thought that it would be a good opportunity to just gain some film um, for the upcoming season, um, an opportunity to stay in shape for the months of, of not having uh, being signed with, to an NFL team. And so it was uh, set up for me to go out there and to compete for the months of January through April and then having an opportunity to sign back with a team in uh, in April. And so with that being said, man, it was, it was um, I think it was, uh, it was an eye-opening situation to understand, you know, how blessed it is to be in the NFL. And um, because of the way the structure and the way that things were kind of ran and essentially 
um, it was a little it was a little second tier to the to the NFL the way that things were ran and so you you find a, a great appreciation for the opportunity to be out to be able to be out there to display your skills and to have opportunity to compete in the game that you love but you know um, you know having things ran as professional as the NFL weekend um, week to week knowing you know that you're going to have you know you're going to have treatment you're going to have payment you're going to have um, an opportunity to uh, you know find housing and support your family I think that you know it, it's uh, it's better <laughs> it was a better opportunity to be in the NFL than the, than the AFL but I'm definitely thankful for the chance that I got. I'm wondering I've heard a lot of different stories about the Alliance of American Football and players finding out how it dissolved or how it ended how did you find out the league was folding before the first season even was through? Uh, well, we had just moved back to Orlando because our team had to essentially be stationed in two different places. We ended up spending one month in uh, Orlando and the second month in Jacksonville. And so it was a, a transition having to live, into, live in a hotel uh, for a few months and um, essentially being away from your family for that time period. And so it was an, it was an adjustment for us. Um, but when we first found out about the a the AFL folding, um, we were, we were, we were, uh, heading out to practice. We had our walkthroughs and we had the opportunity to come back and, um, and talk with the team. And so, and so when once we got back in, our coach told us that the, that the AAF was essentially going into uh, a time where they were going to be shutting down the league for this week and they necessarily didn't know how things were going to shake up. And that they told us to uh, just basically hang out. We were going to have a meeting back at the hotel. We were going to talk about it and see how things were going to unfold. Um, but once, <laughs> once that news broke, um, and everybody kind of went back to the locker room. I came back out in the hallway and to essentially talk to someone. And then that's when I started to see all of our coaches clearing out all of their lockers and taking all of their things out. So that's when, in fact, I passed along the message to the rest of the team. Like, hey, I think this thing is really shutting down. A lot of the, uh, everybody that's been in charge are clearing out their lockers. So I think we should do the same. Well, it had to be an interesting experience for you playing with the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier. What was that like having him as your head coach and his return to football? Man, it was pretty cool because he's an exciting he's an exciting coach. Um, he's very different in how he goes about things. Um, he doesn't necessarily have a playbook, but he's a mastermind offensively. And the things that he was able to come up with week in and week out, um, you know, being a defensive player and seeing the stuff that they would, we would have to practice against that they were preparing for the other team, it was pretty cool to, to see um, that he hasn't lost a beat when it comes to the way that he thinks offensively. And uh, he just always had a bunch of cool sayings, and he was very positive, and um, he was just a guy that you always wanted to be around. Um, he believed in team. He believed in, you know, um, selfless football, and so – um, at the end of the day, it was very, it was very good, man, because I learned, um, you know, how to be more accountable under, under his, uh, under his tenure. And so it was very, it was very fun to play with. Okay. You said he didn't really have a playbook. Could you explain that? What do you mean there? Man, he, man, he would draw these plays up on like napkins, like dinner <laughs> napkins at like the, at like the table. And like, you know, you would talk to the offensive players and I'm like, where's your guys playbook? We don't have one. And I'm like, well, what do you? what are you doing? And he's just like, well, we, he draws these plays up that he thinks about every day and we got to write them down. And so 
Like he literally, I mean, he was a mastermind like that. He was, a, he would just come up and draw things up on the play on the board and, and guys will have to write it down. And so, uh, he didn't necessarily give you an opportunity to, um, to have a playbook. And I mean, it was just cool to see, man, because, you know, I would sit there and be like, man, this stuff's not going to work. And it would really go out there and work and be, um, great for his team. And so, um, it was really cool to see. Well, your team was named the, I put this in air quotes, the champion of the league, finished with the best record, 7-1. and one. I heard Coach Spurrier got a ring. Did you get one, or what happened there? Man, absolutely not. But it would have been great to get a ring, man, to just, you know, have something to say that you earned uh, that you, yeah, for all the hard work that we put in, man. I mean, I mean, it was some difficult times, man. You know, practicing on turf for essentially two months, two to three months straight, you were out there, uh, you know, and obviously everybody knows that, um, being on turf fields and having those types of conditions can't, you know, aren't always the best for the players and, uh, you know, their knees and ankles and all that type of stuff. So guys were kind of battling, man, going through those ups and downs with the league. And then, you know, obviously we had that thing um, with the league might going, might be going bankrupt and, you know, having to fight for our checks. And so, um, you know, obviously it was a difficult time um, on the business side of football, but, you know, going to work every day with those guys were pretty cool. Um, there was a lot of, um, different characters and um, you know I had a few old teammates like Ryan Davis who played with me in Buffalo was out there with me and so um, it was pretty cool to have a couple guys that you knew and and were pretty cool with um, to go to to go to uh, work with having to fight for your checks did you end up getting the payment that you were promised uh not not in full not in full I, I can't I, I definitely can't uh I can't attest to that man I I believe that uh, we had we had at least three more checks that we were supposed to be getting uh, over that time period, and so all of, everybody was not uh, didn't have the opportunity to gain, um, you know, to get the amount of money that they were promised, and so um, you know that's a learning that's a learning um, that's a learning situation for us, man, and so you know obviously there's there's a there's a battle right now going on where guys are trying to collect funds from the AAF, but. You know, they filed for bankruptcy, and so you know, having that, having that being said, it's kind of, it's going to be, kind of tough for guys to be able to collect the money that they feel that they were owed. Well, one league that's launching here in 2020, the XFL. Are you planning to play in that league, or are there opportunities coming for you? I've heard there's a draft that will be coming in October. What's going on there? Uh, there is an opportunity for me to compete in that league. Um, you know, anytime you have an opportunity to compete in football, I think that there's um, it's a great build, great deal of gratitude that goes along with it. Um, the XFL has been around before and it's making its return. I think that um, it's going to be structured a lot better than, than it was in previous times. And I'm excited to see where, where things kind of lead. You know, right now I'm still preparing for the NFL for when they call. Um, you know, that would be a great opportunity to go back out there and, and compete with a lot, of the, a lot of the brothers that I know. Um, but if the XFL, you know, wants my services and, and there's an opportunity to compete and continue um, to extend my career, then I'm all for it. And so, um, you know, I just enjoy football. I enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoy competing on a daily basis and being around those type of guys. And so, um, you know, that's what I've known for, for since I was seven years old. And so um, I'm just excited if any chance that I get to compete. Do you think the XFL could be successful? I mean, you've been through one iteration of spring football where it didn't work out. Do you think they could be successful for a full year or long term? 
I believe um, the XFL can be. I think that Vince McMahon is a guy that, that's been proven that he can run a successful uh, business and brand. I, um, I also believe that there's chances for them to, um, to learn from the mistakes of the AAF. And so, you know, I think that Vince McMahon is going to have opportunity to build this thing. And um, just like uh, just like tournaments like the TVT tournament, which you see in basketball, um, you know, you have the G League and you have younger guys have an opportunity to compete in different leagues and ultimately end up in the NFL. I believe that, you know, giving players, a, a, you know, more platforms to showcase their skills is, is the best thing for the for the league. Well, to finish off the show, how can fans follow you? How can they connect with you? What are your social media handles? Man, uh, so you guys can follow me uh, on Instagram. um, I am worthy underscore 99. Uh, You can follow my Twitter handle at uh, I am underscore uh, worthy 99. Um, You also can connect with me via Venmo um, at I am worthy 99. Um, not being not Venmo, but uh, <laughs> but Cameo. I apologize for that, <laughs> Cameo. But uh, if you guys want to connect with me via Venmo, look, I'll take a couple of dollars too. But look, <laughs> well, Cameo. Um, if you guys want to connect with me via Cameo, I love connecting with my fans. I love having opportunities to to discuss things and and reach out to people. And so, um, any chance that you guys to con- any chance you guys get to connect with me, I'm all for. So I'm just excited again to be on the show. Awesome. Jarrell, thank you so much for your time and best of luck to you in the future. Thank you, Luke, man. And I appreciate the chance for uh, to being on this show, man. Thank you. Thank you again to Jarrell for joining me on the Luke Winstall Show. Please be sure to follow the podcast on social media at Luke Winstall Show. Winstall spelled W-I-N-S-T-E-L. Thank you again for your support of the podcast, and I'll see you back soon with another one.